0: Welcome to the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring special guests discussing a wide range of topics and personal stories. Now live from the Pirate Radio Studio, here's Shirley Rhodes.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pirate Radio Podcast, featuring The Voice, Jeff Charles, and his special guest, former ECU assistant basketball coach, Michael Perry. On today's podcast, The Voice and Coach Perry will have a great discussion on his rise in the coaching ranks and, of course, his time as a Richmond Spider. Sit back and relax. Today's Pirate Radio podcast starts right now.
0: Thank you, Shirley. Our guest is former ECU interim head coach and assistant basketball coach and today radio network analyst on the Pirate Sports Network from Learfield, Michael Perry. Mike is a basketball lifer going back to his playing days at the University of Richmond and then for many years on the sideline, including five years as the head coach at Georgia State. We're going to have a lot of fun talking hoops today and talking about his outstanding career. Mike, welcome. How you doing?
2: I'm doing great. All is well.
0: Well, Mike, let's start at the very beginning. People always associate you so much with Richmond, but I was reading your bio, and it says you actually were born in Oxford, North Carolina. So do you have family ties to North Carolina?
2: Yeah, a lot of family ties. A lot of my family, the majority of my family actually is in the Carolinas, in the Oxford area. And um, though I I grew up, I I didn't live there for anything amount of time. I grew up in Richmond, and that's home for me. I did have a lot of family in Oxford, and I spent a lot of time in Oxford growing up. Um, um, A little bit more than just going there for holidays. I was down there frequently. And during the summer times often, I spent the entire summer in Oxford uh, when, when I was a young kid.
0: So you moved to Richmond then uh, as a youngster, Mike. Let's go back to those days. Of course, you're known so much for being a basketball player and coach, but as a kid growing up, did you participate in other sports?
2: Yeah, football and baseball. I played all of those. In fact, I was more passionate probably about football and uh, growing up uh, than I was about basketball, and I really kind of gravitated. You know, did that you know, growing up, you played everything, but. Um, Football was probably my sport. I probably was more successful at, and I think it was probably around middle school I started really kind of gravitating toward basketball. And well, um, but I always loved football.
0: Well, let's talk about your high school basketball career now. Where did you play high school basketball?
2: I played at Thomas Jefferson High School in Richmond for a day Robbins who. Uh, was my high school coach who eventually went on to become the head coach at Virginia Union, become a Hall of of Famer at Virginia Union, winning four national championships. But that was my high school coach. And uh, my high school coach, my friend, my mentor, and my foundation for basketball uh, was developed with Dave Robinson, Thomas Jefferson High School.
0: So you have the outstanding career, Mike, in high school, and then the college recruiters uh, come calling, and they find out about you. You decide to stay home and play for the University of Richmond. Why the University of Richmond?
2: Well, I, at that time, I was really impressed with the facilities. I mean, the Roberts Center at that time, there, was, there weren't too many facilities that were more impressive than the Roberts Center in the country, even high-major programs they didn't have a facility like the University of Richmond had. 10,000-seat uh, arena on campus, uh, all chair backs. I mean, it was impressive. Um, I thought that it was a chance for me to be able to uh, you know, to really make a, a, a impact on a program, not just be one of the guys, that is one of many that have come through a program, but somebody that could really put their imprint on a particular program. And uh, I was really impressed with that. And I think the fact that uh, my high school coach was the one that actually was had, had division vision or foresight because you know that at that age you know sometimes you're thinking bigger uh, brighter lights you're thinking about getting away from home and I remember coming back from a visit to Old Miss and I was really impressed with Old Miss and almost talking about possibly going there and that's when my high school coach uh we had a talk and he said you know what are you going to do when you finish playing basketball uh could you see yourself living um in Oxford Mississippi I always remember saying no way i'm getting out there (laughs) as soon as i finish playing i can't live there yeah he said yeah exactly that's what i want you to think about this decision shouldn't just be about the next four years it should be about years beyond your four years of playing college basketball what's going to put you in the best position what's going to be able to market you um for success after you finish with basketball that's what he actually told me and um So, in some ways, he kind of influenced me to stay at home at University
0: of Richmond. Well, you're right about the Robbins Center. It was a beautiful place when uh, you went there, Coach, and it still is today. They've done a wonderful job of maintaining that building, and it is just a, a terrific college basketball venue. So, you go to Richmond. And you start your career there, and you end up as the all-time leading scorer, 2,145 points. You average 19.9 points per game, the best ever for the Spiders, and seventh all-time in rebounding from 77 to 81. Mike, that does go back a few years. We're both getting a little age on uh, on us. Let's go back and talk about those days and... For folks who are listening to us uh, today, they probably, a lot of them, probably never saw you play. So if you can, tell us what you excelled at.
2: Um, I, I guess if you had to identify it today, you almost talk about uh, some of the position as player. Because I I played um, the small forward and the power forward when I was in college. Um, you know, I, I was really athletic. And you know that's what I was kind of known for my athleticism and my ability to score the basketball. I mean, I could score the basketball. Um, I turn around, jump shots, post moves. I wasn't uh, known for being a, you know, a perimeter shooter. That wasn't my thing because I grew up in an era where, you know, <laughs> it was after I was asked about with some friends recently. I grew up in an era where you wanted to. You know, it was the priority at that time in basketball was being able to get to the basket or they say get to the hoop or get to the rim. So everything was a drive. You wanted to be able to drive the basketball. So that was one of the things I could do whether in transition or in a half court, I could get to the rim and, um, and then had athletic finishes and the dunks and all that stuff. And I was probably one of the first ones in that area that was dunking on a consistent basis.
0: Well, you have a great career there and then a guy by the name of Johnny Newman comes along and he broke your scoring record. You and I have talked about this off the air. I was broadcasting for Virginia Tech at the time and in that game that Johnny Newman became Richmond's all-time leading scorer, Dell Curry became Virginia Tech's all-time leading score. Mike, some guys feel differently when a, a great record like that gets broken. Some are happy for the guy that broke it, some are really not that happy. So, how did you feel when Johnny Newman broke your record?
2: I was happy for Johnny and the kid. I wasn't concerned you know, with somebody breaking my record. Once you once you set a record, it's set. I mean, it, I think anytime anybody surpasses it, I think you're going to always people are going to always talk about who was who was the guy's record that he broke? But that guy must have been pretty good yeah. <laughs> um, for that record. I mean, I hear it even today. I have a friend of mine that was good friends with who was relative of Elton Baylor, and uh, I laugh with them now today because every once in a while you used to be watching a game and they'll talk about um, this guy tied or this guy broke Elton Baylor's record, and you said, "Oh my God, Elton Baylor scored that many points, or Elton Baylor had that many rebounds." Yeah, Elton Baylor must have been a heck of a player. I think the same same is true with any record. Um, It's an opportunity for people to kind of shine a light on the accomplishments that you had. So it's not a bad thing when people break your record.
0: Well, you had the terrific senior season. I mean, the numbers you put up, Mike, uh, your senior year at Richmond were terrific. 22.5 points per game. Drafted then in the NBA in the ninth round by the then Kansas City Kings, now the Sacramento Kings. So tell us what it was like to be drafted and what was it like going to an NBA camp?
2: Oh, it was was terrific! You know, the whole run was great. You know, I played in Portsmouth Invitational Tournament uh, that year, and that was a, you know, that was a great deal. I was coached by one of the Park Hill brothers, if you remember the Park Hills um, from women' Mary and UVA. Sure. And uh, I was coached by one of the Park Hill brothers at Portsmouth Invitational. You know, all the great players in the country. They still have Portsmouth Invitational, but back when I played, it was you know, it was very elite. And, uh, so that was a tremendous accomplishment to be able to play in that, with you know, some of the best players uh, throughout the country and, uh, and then getting drafted and going to a training camp. And I was um, being coached by cotton, good Simmons. And, you know, you just had an opportunity you know, to get a part of, of, of you know, uh, which of you dreamed about, you know, being in a NBA arena, practice facility, working out with pros. I mean, it was a great, great accomplishment. Um, so it was a great experience to be able to get there. I would have liked to have stuck in major main team, but, you know, it just didn't work out that way. But, heck, I I mean, I, I felt like um, I had a, a great run, a great career. I was also in a couple of other camps. I was in the Wizards camp. At, at that time, it was the Bullets. I was in their camp. And, man, so I had a, a great run, a great time with basketball. But I always thought that, you know, I was not going to be one of these guys that just kept chasing basketball forever. Uh, after your playing days were over, I wanted to be able to give it all I had, and be completely, completely vested, and consumed with it. But uh, once it was over, it was time to move on to other things.
0: And talking about moving on to other things, you get into the coaching profession. Mike, was that always in the back of your mind that you wanted to coach? It was, but you
2: know, when when I originally came out of college, I ended up going into the private business. And, um, but I actually, you know, I always loved being around the game. And it's, uh, it's funny, uh, well, coaching, I used to work Charles Oakley out. And I was in private business, but I used to go over to Virginia Union all the time. I was still playing. And, uh, and I would work Oakley out. And, uh, and I was around the program all the time at Virginia Union. And Coach Robbins finally said to me, Hey, Mike, why don't you, uh, why don't you think about coming over and coaching with me? And uh, he said, you're around a lot. If you work Oak out. And um wanted you think about coming, he said, "It appears you have some flexibility with your schedule." I said, "I do." He said, "I want you to think about coming." So I did, and I went over, and I really enjoyed it. And after the first year, the one year doing it at Virginia Union, uh, Dick Turn called me and wanted me to come over to Richmond, and um, and do the same thing there. And that's just started whetting my appetite even more so.
0: Well, there's that name again, Dave Robbins. You have the relationship with him in high school and then at an HBCU at Virginia Union, which has a great basketball tradition. But for a lot of our listeners who probably are not aware, Mike, Dave Robbins is a white guy, and he had a great run at an HBCU at Virginia Union, and that's kind of unique in itself. Yeah, it's
2: really unique, and, but not completely out of the ordinary for people that knew him because... My high school was predominantly black, and uh, probably in Richmond, we probably probably a little bit more diverse than most of the schools, but it was still a predominantly black high school. And um, and he was, uh, at that time, probably one of the few white head coaches in the city. Um, So he had kind of come from an environment very similar to an HBCU. And then to go to Virginia Union and just completely be engulfed in a completely uh, you know, African-American uh, culture, uh, both on and off campus, uh, in the campus. I mean, I mean, uh, throughout the league. I mean, it was it, it was it was pretty interesting for him to be trenched inside. But I know a few years ago they did a special. Earl Monroe produced it uh, on the CIAA, and they talked about the history of the CIAA, and then they actually had a portion of the program talking about when Dave Robbins came into the league and his domination of that league from uh, the time in which he came, and also the reemergence of NBA players coming out. Because CIAA for so many years, uh, you know, like a lot of the uh, you know HBCU uh, based leagues, the SWAC and the MEAC. Uh, in the early years, you know, the fifties and sixties, uh, there were a lot of uh, guys who was, you know, didn't have the opportunity to go to major universities, and so you had a lot of professional athletes that were coming out of these particular leagues. But then it opened up. Uh, integration opened up even more so, and then, you know, after he started going to these predominantly you know, white universities, major universities. So you didn't have those influx of guys coming out of those leagues. But then Dave Robbins came along, all of a sudden, you had pros coming out of the CIAA, and particularly one particular school, Virginia Union.
0: Yeah, Absolutely and Dave Robbins was a trailblazer not in the normal sense that we think of trailblazers usually we think of black athletes or black coaches in a white world and Dave Robbins was as you mentioned Mike he was just uh, totally opposite so you get now to your coaching career you get a little uh, experience under your belt as you mentioned Dick Tarrant uh, calls you you go back to your alma mater I know Coach Tarrant well you know him very well what a great coach Dick Tarrant was at Richmond Mike why did you from him
2: well discipline i mean that's the one thing that you learn with dick turn and everybody always asks him about the success of it Well those three, those three major guys i coached with dave robbins dick turn and lefty gizelle and i think uh the thing that distinguished dick turn uh and made him um you know just particularly uh, an outstanding great coach was his discipline i mean that was it um game preparation was excellent uh you know Coaching on the sidelines, game-time decisions were good, but the strength of Dick turn was discipline. and was, Everybody had something that they kind of hang their hat on. And For, for him, that's what it was. He had a military background, he had been a successful high school coach. I actually got into college coaching um, in the latter years of his career. He basically had retired from high school coaching, went to Richmond as an assistant for one of his former players, Luke Getz, who had been an assistant at Duke, and they got the job after they had made their uh, national championship run with Gene Banks and Minsky and that crew. And he got the job at Richmond. He hired his former high school coach from New Jersey, Dick Turn. So he came in and was an assistant for a few years. But we had a very close relationship uh, when he was an assistant coach. And then he got the head job uh, at a later, later age. But he kind of brought that same discipline that he's always had and believed in, uh, simplicity in terms of what you do offensively and defensively. But discipline. His teams were very disciplined. They didn't beat themselves. They didn't turn the basketball over, and and those are the things. If as a coach, uh, as a teacher of the game, that's one of the things that you know he instilled in me. Uh, the disciplined teams. Often on a more successful
0: team. He had those great teams at Richmond, had the great runs in the NCAA tournament. The Richmond Spiders were giant killers, knocking off some of the blue bloods in college basketball during his tenure there. And then, Mike, you mentioned Lefty Drizzell, and you had the opportunity then to work with Lefty at Georgia State, went there in 1997. So tell us how all that happened. Well, I knew Lefty
2: because he recruited me somewhere in high school. I mean, I had a chance to. To develop some really interesting relationships um, through recruiting, uh, from me being recruited in high school, and also uh, just my years of playing in college basketball. I developed some really great relationships, but I got a chance to actually get to know Coach uh, when I was being recruited by the University of Maryland as a high schooler. And when I was in college, uh, again, there's always purpose with everything but left to yourself. And when I first went to work for him, and I'll get back to, to where I'm going, but when I first went to work for him, I always remember a friend of mine telling me who worked for him. He said, like, you're going to be very close. Your staff's going to be very close. You're going to spend a lot of time together. He said, in fact, you guys are going to eat lunch together. He said, but Lefty's smart. You guys aren't just going to eat lunch together just for camaraderie. It's almost like an extended uh, office meeting, and uh, everything has a purpose with him. So when I was a collegiate, Lefty had this camp, his, his basketball camp, and lefty would invite better basketball players around the country to come work the camp. They are pretty good. But his point was he wanted the really good basketball players to come to the camp so that at night they could have great counseling games. That way, his players that were around were playing against really good competition. So sometimes, you know, your campus you have a tendency to be a ghost, you know, almost like a, a ghost town uh, in the summertime. And sometimes the guys get a little stagnated because they're tired of playing against each other. Sometimes you don't have enough guys around to play. So it was a smart move on his, on his behalf to have all these really good players come in. And he also had former pros that were coming back also. So it was a great environment. The guys had a chance to play. And I played with John Lucas, Lenny Elmore, uh, Nate McMillan. And then it was the guys that lived in the D.C. area because the games were so great. Uh, guys like Adrian Dantley. Those guys would come over and play. The Bullets would send their, their draft picks uh, to come over. I remember playing with Rick Mahon, Wes Matthews. Those guys had been drafted. They would come over and play. So you had these great games that were going on because Lefty would ensure it by hiring really good players to work his camp. So I got to know him even more so as a collegiate because I worked his camp every year because I wanted to be a part of those games also. That's why, you, that's why you worked the camp because you wanted to play against that type of competition. So we got to know each other, and then again we became competitors when he was working at James Madison, and uh, and I was at the University of Richmond. Uh, so when it was opening, um, a bit of coaching change at Richmond. He left James Madison, and uh, he he was he reached out to me through some people, and he interviewed with him at the Final Four. He hired me you know, actually uh, during the interview, which just doesn't happen a lot, but I was fortunate it did happen. He offered me the job during the interview, and I accepted it.
0: We're visiting with Michael Perry these days. He's my broadcast partner, Broadcasting East Carolina Pirate Basketball on the Pirate Sports Network from Learfield, having a lot of fun talking with Michael and his terrific basketball career. Lefty was and is quite a character. And, Mike, I know you stay in touch with him. A lot of folks remember him from his ACC days at Maryland and when the Pirates were competing against his James Madison teams. Where is Lefty living these days, and how's he doing?
2: He's in Virginia Beach these days. Unfortunately, his wife passed back in the summertime, and that was obviously a very really difficult blow for him and his family. But he's there in Virginia Beach. Uh, uh, upon uh, retiring from uh, Georgia State, he moved to Virginia Beach. He also has a place in Rehoboth Beach in Delaware, which he always had from his days at the University of Maryland. So he was going back and forth between those two over the, over the past uh, probably 10, 15 years or so, but... Uh, He's kind of stationary there now, still in Virginia Beach, uh, but still sharp. You know, I talk to him from time to time, and he still watches a lot of basketball. There's a lot of things he's still passionate about. Uh, He hates guarantee games and teams beating up (laughs) on lower opponents in the early regular season. Uh, He gets a kick out of how basketball kind of goes through trends, and it, it reverts back to sometimes what you may call old basketball. Uh, As you see, the game's kind of inundated with ball screen um, play now, which used to be the thing back in the 60s, probably, or maybe early 70s, but definitely 60s. And now basketball has kind of uh, reinvented itself and now going back to the ball screen action. So he he talks the history of the game a lot, but uh, it's amazing that even at his age, he's still really sharp, watches a lot of basketball, and has great insight on a lot of games today.
0: Lefter Drizell was another one of your mentors. You were on his staff at Georgia State. And then you take over, Mike, as the head coach. Georgia State's not an easy job. You were there for five years. You had a great season. Your second year there, uh, the Georgia State Panthers won 20 games. How hard, though, is it to sustain success at a school like Georgia State? Well, it's
2: uh, it's very difficult, obviously. It's very difficult being a, a a college basketball program in a major city. Uh, I remember Mark Turgeon grabbing me once on the road a few years ago, and we were talking about when he was at Jacksonville State and I was at East Carolina. I mean, I'm sorry, I was at uh, Georgia State, and he talked about how we had some really good teams at <laughs> Georgia State. He said, man, people would have died. A lot of schools would have died to have the type of teams you guys had. If you guys were in the top 25 before, and you had great teams. And he said, you know, it was, you know, it wouldn't be much of a crowd. He said, because, you know, I because you guys were in Atlanta, it was very difficult to draw people. And uh, I said, yeah, but that's, you know, that's kind of the way it is in major cities. You just don't get that type of support. And, um, and, and the school, again, didn't have the resources that it has. Uh, today, the resources have gotten a lot better. Um, student fees and an enrollment of 30,000 students plus, you know, certainly helps today but it was, you know, very much on a shoestring budget uh, back then. And, uh, and again, they were going through growing pains and uh, that's why it is very difficult at a lot of places. Um, at Georgia state, I won 60% of my games in my first three years. And then they moved to another league. <laughs> they moved to the, they moved to the colonial, uh, at a time in which you know, the colonial was, was probably the best it's ever been. And, um, so they've, they've been trying to find themselves in terms of finding a home. I think they're in a good place now in the Sun Belt. But to be able to try to go through those transitions as a program, you know, it's very difficult. I and mean, then we actually went into the Colonial a year early as well. So it was a very difficult time trying to transition from, at that time, the American, the, the, the Atlantic Sun, to the Colonial, the travel, uh, the commitment with the resources. It was very difficult. And um, so it was a tough time there. So. and they'll have a change of the athletic director as well. So, all those things that happen in college basketball, unfortunately, you have to deal with.
0: It. Yeah, no doubt about that. If you're going to be in the profession, those kinds of things are going to happen. And you're right, Mike. Georgia State today is not the Georgia State that you were associated with uh, years ago. They've got football now. Their facilities have come light years. So, you know, Georgia State is on on the way up. And being in Atlanta, they have a lot of things going for them. But let's go back now to uh, you're out of a job at that point at Georgia State. How tough was that, and what was your mindset like after after the Georgia State experience? Well,
2: you know, just looking for the uh, – or trying to make a decision on where, where you're going to go next. I know I still wanted to coach, and I uh, actually explored um, the NBA opportunities because I spent a lot of time over with the Hawks, and um, I used to go to a lot of their practices. And at this time, I actually had a, a former um, – Georgia State alumni was one of the uh, one of the one of the principal owners of the team, and uh, but he was going through a transition at that time also in terms of uh, uh, his stake in the team, and so I was exploring that as a possibility, and uh, that didn't work out. and Then a couple of college opportunities were coming up, but uh, logistically a lot of them didn't work for me, and then I got the call from uh, Mac McCarthy, and um, and it just you know it made sense for me, and um, and I. Same in East Carolina.
0: And you've been in Greenville since 2007. So, Mike, I guess you must like it pretty well here.
2: Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, it, it, was, uh, it was certainly a transition coming from a major city like Atlanta and uh, coming to a college town. But it was a great experience. And it, one I had never really been a part of, you know, growing up in Richmond was a in fairly large-sized mid-major um, mid city. Then Atlanta was the major metropolitan area, and then coming to a college town, which I never experienced, but I certainly enjoyed it, and uh, then my my son actually went to East Carolina and graduated from East Carolina, so we got some really really strong roots in this area now as a result of being here in the amount of that we've been, but I really embraced the community, really loved it, and I always thought that, you know, as a coach, I just thought that, like, you have to be vested in the community that you're a part of and that was one of the things that I, I felt with working with. That did he actually kind of uh, mandate that you have to invest in the community. You have to embrace the community that you're a part of uh, in terms of whatever university you're working at. And it was something that I certainly uh, you know, could put both my arms around this community. I really love the people here. And uh, and it, it, was, it was it was one that was it, was, it was admirable. I mean, they were as friendly As strongly as I was, they were as well. I mean, it was a great community to be a
0: part of. So you're on the staff. Coach McCarthy brings you in. And then Jeff Lebo is here. And Jeff Lebo keeps you on his staff. And Coach Lebo had a really good run. You guys win the CIT championship that we will always remember. And then in 2017, Jeff Lebo decides to step down. He had some health issues. And then Mike Perry is named the interim head coach of the Pirates. Can you walk us through that? Experience, Mike, and how all that developed.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of it kind of started the year before um, when Jeff had the hip surgery, and uh, me asked me to step in and take over the program. And um, obviously, my, my experience and then um, the imprint I had on the team it made sense. And I you know, and I you know readily stepped in, and we had a you know we had we had a good finish to the season uh, when I took over. I think we went like. Six and eight, and um, so it was a good run, and uh, you know the kids really responded well and they played enthusiastically. So it, it kind of started then, and um, and I think Jeff, you know, he, he had the hip replacement uh, surgery uh, done. It was something he wanted to wait, and, and things you know just progressed to a point where he couldn't wait any longer he had to have it immediately, and that sidelined him for the remainder of that year. I had to take over that year. Then the next year was different because, um, you know, he we, the team was struggling, and uh, I think he was struggling with some health issues and, and, and other things as well. So when he stepped down, you know, it, it wasn't as stable a situation to take over. Uh, there were a lot of moving parts. There were a lot of things that needed to try to be, uh, that you needed to try to, you know, to mend or fix. So you, you, it was a little different atmosphere uh, when I took over the second year. As
1: an interim coach, but it was a, uh, you know, it was interesting. And again, I was experienced; I went through it before. You know,
2: when you do that, it, it's always a some uh, a, a transition you have to make in your mind of going from the assistant coach to the head coach. You have to look at things with a broader lens as a head coach. And and I did it at Georgia State. I did it as an assistant coach uh, one year with Lefty, was with our best team that we had there. Lefty had to have surgery on his neck, and uh, and it was something again one of those deals where it was it, it had to be addressed immediately, so he missed uh, about seven games or so, and um, and it was a, I felt more pressure then than I ever have. And it was a really good team because
1: we knew we had a really good team, and we knew that we probably every game was a, was was vital in terms of being to put out field
2: the position. Well, if we lost in the conference tournament, we could get an at-large bid. So everything about that year was, we, we, we had more pressure. Everything was weighted because all we wanted to do was make sure we were in a position to get an at-large bid. So when I took over, I thought all I could think about was, don't mess this up, Mike. Don't mess yeah. this up. Yeah. Now, okay, we, played, we played a tournament in Hawaii, a Rainbow Classic, where actually at the end of the season, all four teams ended up going to the NCAA tournament. It was Hawaii, UAP. I think it was Cal State Fullerton. They were really good. We won the tournament. I coached the the tournament, won the tournament, and then we had about three or four regular season games that I coached after that. But uh, it was a good run. But I tell you what, I felt more pressure on those games with a heck of a team than I ever have.
0: Well, Mike, uh, then Joe Dooley comes in to ECU, the present-day coach, of course, and you are out of coaching in 2018. Uh, have you missed it? I know you're a basketball lifer. You love the game. Have you missed coaching, and would you like to get back in the business?
2: Yeah, I missed it. I would like to get back in it, but I, you know, it's been an interesting time being out of it. It's given me a chance to reflect and look at basketball with a broader lens again. And uh, you know, One of the things I always wanted to do but never could Really go around and evaluate programs, see how guys do things. You know, there's always a, a, a different way of approaching the game of basketball in terms of administratively. You know, how you coach your team, how you manage your team. So I had an opportunity over the over the past few years to go around and you know uh, watch a lot of programs. A lot of guys had me come in to evaluate their programs, uh, evaluate their staffs, uh, just everything about every aspect of the program. So. It was great to be able to see that. I remember Ro Williams saying once, he would do that sometimes during the season. Uh, I guess during their down break, he would go around to a couple of practices of other teams just to see how they were doing. I think what you do is you get a chance to see um, how people do things, but you also get a chance to see, uh, am I doing things the right way? And um, so I had a chance to go around and, and, and really have an opportunity to dive deeply into How different people approach different situations and how they coach your teams, how they manage your teams, and along with your staff.
0: Well, you are completing your first year working with me on the Pirate Sports Network from Learfield, so you've kind of transitioned a bit from coaching into broadcasting this year as your first year as a broadcaster. Uh, Mike, I've really enjoyed working with you this year. I hope the feeling is mutual. What has it been like for you transitioning now and and doing games on radio? I've actually totally
2: enjoyed it, man. It's been tremendous. i enjoyed it. And I hate to see you blind me down. I want to <laughs> see you. It's something, it's something that I've always enjoyed doing, and and you've actually made it a lot easier for me. And Obviously, having a veteran like yourself, and, and not just a veteran, but you know, someone who's at the top of the profession. And uh, you've been great uh, working with me and giving me a lot of insight. And, uh, hey, I, 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 I'm I not a pro at this <laughs> For me, it's just talking basketball. But I know I follow some things out of mistakes I make and probably over sometimes. But, hey, I, I'm just talking basketball. So I really enjoy it, but I, I enjoy some of the points that you've given me over the course of the year. But it is something I've actually thought about doing. Uh, I thought at the end of my career, I might end up doing some little broadcasting. And, um, and I'm not saying that it's over now for me basketball-wise or that it's over for me broadcast-wise. But you know, whatever fate has for me going forward, you know, I'm on
0: board. Well, you've done a really good job, and I've really enjoyed working with you, Coach, and uh, getting to know you a little bit better. Of course, we knew each other from your days prior to working with me on radio, but we've really gotten a chance to get to know each other a lot better this year with the travel and everything that we go through during a, a basketball season, and you've really done a nice job. You've been a real asset to the network, and uh, you obviously have a great grasp of the game and have been able to get that across to our listeners. So as we wrap things up, Coach, uh, tell us a little bit now about your family. You mentioned uh, that your son is an ECU graduate. I know you've got a couple of daughters and had a chance to visit one of them who lives in Tampa on our radio Recent trip to Florida, so tell us about your family.
2: Yeah, I've got a great family. I got a terrific wife, a beautiful wife. She works at ECU in the athletic department, actually. And uh, we've been the we've we've been married over thirty years. I mean, we're we're veterans at this thing. And um, she's from Richmond and um, so and along with myself, and so we've been together. We had a great family. We've got three three lovely kids. My oldest daughter is in uh, Tampa, Florida. I had a chance to spend time with her last week. And my middle daughter is in Atlanta, which for my kids, Atlanta is probably like home for them because a great part of their of them growing up was uh, in Atlanta. And um, my oldest two graduated from high school in Atlanta. And uh, so she moved back to Atlanta when she had an opportunity to, and she's doing really well there. And then my youngest, uh, my son was an ECU graduate. And he had a great time at ECU and. um um, probably too much of a great time <laughs> 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 but uh yeah he graduated he's doing well now. he's working out for t in at virginia beach area um has really done well up there and uh, i've actually had my first grandkid um uh, I'm, I'm a grandfather now and so it's another addition to the family it's, it's michael perry the third
0: congratulations
2: it's, it's Two of them wasn't enough for the world. We got a for the world. <laughs> and uh, he's, um, he's um, at um, growing up now. He's about seven months old right now. Wow. So I'm enjoying getting up there and having an opportunity to see him. So, uh, logistically, this really works out well being here and, uh, in Greenville because I'm only like, a couple of hours away from them to be able to see him. Well, yeah, that's my family, man. It's a great family, and we have a lot of fun together. And the kids get back here from time to time as well. And you uh, know, my my son and, um,
1: and you know, they were we were talking recently because they were talking about uh,
2: if our family were ever to go on a family feud, it was a question whether or not I might be one of the ones uh, uh, included in that group. I went, hold on one second, I would be the first guy. What are you
0: talking? <laughs> I would be included
2: him and his fiance were talking about um uh wing you know, and all that I went hold on one second. I mean I know you both of you guys are East graduates, but I am a graduate of the University of Richmond. I think <laughs> I we that, do
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Mike, life is good for you, no doubt about it. You've had a wonderful life. You've had a wonderful basketball career. Uh, We thank you so much for sharing those insights and stories with us today. And, again, we always love to talk hoops with you. And we'll see you as the season winds down here and hopefully get some more Pirate victories. And, again, thanks so much for your time. We really enjoyed it. Thank you. Take care. That's University of
1: Richmond Hall of Famer Michael Perry. And that was another great episode of the Pirate Radio podcast with The Voice and former ECU basketball coach Michael Perry. We will be back very soon with another edition of the Pirate Radio podcast. But in the meantime, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in your Apple store. You can also visit our website at PR927FM.com and follow us on social media at PR927FM to keep up with all the latest news and information. Until next time, have a great day, everyone.
0: You've been listening to the Pirate Radio podcast, an exclusive Presentation of Pirate Radio, the voice of the Pirate Nation.